In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Amen. During this season we call the bright season, you'll notice instead of holding the cross, I'm holding the, the, the candle. The candle that came out on Pascha when out of the darkness, bursting as one bursting forth from the tomb, came forth the light. And together we sing, come receive the light, not overcome by night. Come glorify Christ who is risen from the dead. So even in the holding of the Paschal candle, I'm bearing witness subtly to the resurrection. And also, of course, with the white vestments and the white candles and saying Christ is risen over and over again. That helps as well. The garlands, everything. Yes, all the decorations that are still out. We're still in the bright season. And so, so we need to still remain upright in our joy and in our worship, our celebration of the Lord's resurrection. So easy is it to celebrate Pascha and then relax into our humdrum, our way of life. And I want you to continue. I want me to continue. I want us to continue with the transcendent joy of the resurrection. Don't let the I'm not feeling it be stronger than the Christ is risen in your life. Because if you say it from the heart, see the heart is, is a place that's deeper than the place of emotion, the place of feeling, and even you know, your physical disposition. You could feel very, very tired. You could be sick, and you could still say Christ is risen and mean it. Not just when you're having a good day, on every day, and especially when you're having a bad day. Rather than letting the negativity eclipse the goodness in your life, let the joy of Christ eclipse the negativity in your life. Remember, you can say that, you can sing that. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death. And upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. You can sing it any time. Sing it in your car. Be a madman. Be a madwoman. I like telling people, I can't be the only crazy one around here. I want some of you to be crazy as well. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. Sing it out and believe it. Say it often. You're going to miss it when the possible season is over. That's why I'm holding this candle. Changing gears. I have this thought, this concern that we often allow ourselves to be seduced by social pressures and cultural currents rather than being, we could say, seduced by the lover of mankind. We allow ourselves to be so easily seduced by the things around us rather than being seduced, drawn in to the love of the lover of mankind. We all desire to belong, but where are we seeking to belong on a daily basis? Are we seeking to fall into the embrace of a social environment that provides a temporary affirmation, a short rush of excitement, as long as you continue to fit in? 
Or are we seeking to fall into the embrace of the Lord, constantly into the embrace of the Lord, embrace of the Lord who is love? Many of you know that the church uses the, the, the language of eros, of divine eros, that type of love that is one of desirous longing for intimacy. Eros in talking about what kind of relationship we can have with our Savior. Enter into an intimate communion with Him. He is the same yesterday, today, and to forever. And He will always love you, but He will not always vindicate you in your selfishness. But He wants to know you. He wants to forgive you and heal you. Please consider that falling into the embrace of Christ is far better, far better than merely fitting in in any particular environment. And while I do think that you're all, you are all pretty cool, especially for being here today, I think that Christ is even cooler. No offense. And if we can agree, agree on that, then I think we can begin to usurp our own vanity and actually struggle alongside one another in maturing as persons. To mature as persons means to strive to be conformed to the image of Christ. That means making an effort to constantly fall into the embrace of Christ while so many other things are trying to give us temporary satisfaction. I rarely take any of my cues from my homilies from social currents and especially not from news media. News media is often divisive, always divisive, and sensational. The, the media often serve to provoke you, and they thrive either on your anger or your loyalty. So please be careful, another exhortation, and moderate. Be careful and moderate in your exposure to media. I encourage you, even at times, to fast. Fast from watching the news. Especially if you find yourself compelled to check it several times a day. I'm fairly convinced that if we cannot reasonably go a day without anything in particular, we may have an unhealthy relationship with it, whether it be snacks, sweets, entertainment, news media, music, whatever it may be. I often find that we can, we can accidentally, accidentally, incidentally, go, go a day without prayer. Oops, I forgot to pray today. Or scripture reading. Oh man, I just didn't get around to it. How many times could you say that I forgot to read the Bible today compared to how many times you could say I forgot to check the news or get on the internet? Whew. And I have to find, you know, that's so, so that's easy to go a day without prayer, to go a day without scripture reading. And when we try to fast, so to speak, from other things that we give our priority to, that have become habitual, then we experience a kind of withdrawal. It's funny. If not a sense of persecution, you ever try going just an entire day without looking at your phone one whole day? Who is it that's telling me I can't look at my phone? It doesn't take long. I mean, we do that with fasting, too. 
What's so wrong with meat? No, there's nothing wrong with meat, but you have an unhealthy relationship with fatty foods. What? Okay, maybe. But we sense a, a sense of persecution and even you know, a threatening of our rights when we're challenged to go a day without many other things that we often consume. And if you find yourself struggling with this, I encourage you to fast from such things. Have you even accidentally, have you gone a day without prayer? Have you ever accidentally gone a day without accessing the internet? It's interesting to consider our mindset with regard to these kinds of things. And if you're concerned with the state of things in the world, as many are these days, know that passively forming opinions and spouting off about them, even if you think that your opinions are extremely clever, doing that will not get you very far, and it will rarely make the world a better place. You know what I'm going to say will make the world a better place? Prayer. (laughs) Purifying yourself of the passions stirred up and provoked by current events. And practical acts of love toward those who you are concerned about. These things will change the world. It's easy to make broad brush stroke statements and think my opinion is about everything that's going on, but it's very hard to settle in and it's very dissatisfying for the person who thinks their opinions are so important to love the one person right in front of them who's probably not going to go post an article on the internet about it. You know? I met Father Jeremiah today. He gave me two dollars. What a nice guy. You know that there's not a lot of immediate gratification that comes from that. Prayer, purifying ourselves of the passions and practical acts toward, toward those who we're concerned about. These will change the world. And the way that most of us will really make an impact on the world is by, first of all, just by loving our families. Investing in the individuals right before us rather than associating ourselves with more causes. And there's no effective virtue signaling. There's no effective virtue signaling and quietly saying prayers with your children at night without taking pictures and making posts about it online. But there is cultivation of true virtue in such humble acts. All of that being said, in an effort to ensure that there's an absence of confusion in our holy community and in the preservation of honesty and holiness and love, I do want to speak to you about something that has been prevalent in the media lately. The issue of abortion. I'll keep my comments simple and without graphic descriptions, but I need to give this public affirmation, and I think it's good for us, rather than just assuming that we all agree, sometimes we need to speak aloud and articulate what it is that we do believe. When we're together, the Orthodox Church is always considered to be abortion a great tragedy. A sin. And from her early days, the church has affirmed that life begins at conception. It was said of St. Maximus, the confessor, someone asked him, when does life begin? And you've heard this if you've been to the feast day of the Annunciation with me. I've said it several times. When when does life begin? St. Maximus pointed to March 25th, 
when we celebrate the Feast of the Annunciation of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed the Theotokos and at her consent, Christ was conceived in her womb nine months, nine months before what? December 25th, Feast of Nativity. We could rightly say that that feast, March 25th, the Feast of Annunciation, that feast is the Feast of the Incarnation. And Feast of Nativity, that's the revelation of the Incarnation. From that moment, the God-man was on earth. Nothing more, nothing less. Fully God and fully man from that moment. And from that point on, sanctifying, participating and experiencing every stage of development. Showing us what it means to be truly human. From the Lord's teaching to the twelve apostles to the nations called the Didache, which dates from the earliest generations, it's one of the earliest post-apostolic writings. We hear the words, do not murder a child by abortion or kill a newborn infant. This is something that's been going on for a long time. People have been faced with this sad reality and this struggle of whether or not to keep children that they weren't expecting. We hear this from the first century. And recall in the days of the early church, it was common for people to discard unwanted babies in public places. And Christians were known for retrieving them and raising them as their own. An early form of adoption without all the paperwork required. And actually, they were accused of eating the children, falsely accused, because people had heard they eat eat flesh and drink blood. What a sick accusation. Regarding abortion, I've created a couple of lists of things that we do not accept and which we do accept as Orthodox Christians. And in there are a couple of thoughts and challenges that I want to give you. What we do not accept about abortion, we do not accept that this is merely a political issue. No doubt it has been politicized. Absolutely. And people leverage it on both sides to pit us against one another, to get great news ratings, and also to pit us against one another. But it's not merely a political issue, even though it has been politicized. We do not accept that the decision to abort is a human right. We do not accept that we should let those around us dictate what we believe. We do not accept that children should be sheltered from learning about the reality of this tragedy. It's our responsibility to discuss these things with our children. Otherwise, they will be told what to believe by someone other than you or I. And by the time we reactively comment on it, it will be hard for them to believe that what we say is true. There's immense pressure, especially on our children and youth, to accept what the world believes. The whole world believes this. We have to teach them that what the church believes is true and why. We do not accept that it's enough to simply have strong opinions about our moral stances. A judgmental moral ideologue is no better than a self-righteous armchair theologian. We do not accept that women are to be intimidated and shamed 
who are considering abortion or who have experienced abortion. They are not to be depersonalized or treated like people who have had abortions. Know that very few, if you've done any research or study into this, know that very few are making a triumphal entry into a clinic, proud of their bodily autonomy and their right to abort. They're often scared and in need of love and in need of someone who believes in them. What we do not accept, that this is only a women's issue. Men are culpable as well and need to learn how to respect women rather than simply using them. We need to teach our boys from a young age to respect women. Husbands, this begins with us loving and respecting our wives, honoring the mother of God, and treating women as persons rather than objects. Women also be careful not to treat men like objects, I know. What we do not accept, that there is any form of compatibility between being Christian and supporting the cause of abortion. And we do not accept that there's nothing that we can do. What we do accept. We accept that there's a lot of confusion in people's minds surrounding this issue. Do you agree with that? We do accept that life begins at conception, like I said. When we say that life begins at conception, we mean that personhood begins at conception. That's a whole person right there. Refer again to the Feast of the Annunciation, of which I spoke earlier. While that person conceived does not have all of its senses or faculties, it does have a noose, it does have a spirit, a soul, and an identity. That being, that person, is known by God, even if he or she is just an idea to those like you or I. We do accept that every life is worth living. To be given the chance to live is to be given the chance to love and be loved. We do accept that unexpected pregnancies are often, often frightening, especially for young women, but men are not off the hook either. We do accept that abortion is an act of murder and a tragedy and a sin. It's a complicated scenario. We do accept that there is forgiveness and healing for those who have made this decision. We do accept that it is our responsibility to provide help and support to mothers who find themselves in frightening situations. This is why we support more than one local pregnancy center here. And we do believe and accept that we can and must do better in actually being involved in serving others. Those lists could go on forever. Those are just some of the thoughts that I put down. In working with young people, it's been encouraging to see more youth and young adults who've actually been deeming themselves as an undercurrent in our culture, a a shift in the the culture. Many young people are starting to deem themselves the pro-life generation. That's been encouraging, but we still need to be able to talk about these things. Many young women who are caught in what seems to be an impossible situation, they feel like they only have one choice. The compulsion to have an abortion. Such was the case of a young lady who visited one of our local pregnancy centers. And I want to tell you this short story. A young lady came into the clinic at her partner's insistence. When we sat down with her, 
She burst into tears. She explained that her partner wanted her to get the abortion pill, and she thought that we were going to give it to her. Our client advocate gently explained that we don't offer abortions. We walked her through her options, ran a pregnancy test, which was positive, and encouraged her to have an ultrasound before making a permanent decision. They gave her the choice. We also reminded her that this is her choice, and no one can make her get an abortion if she doesn't want one. She scheduled an ultrasound and left our center encouraged. The next time we talked to this young woman, her entire demeanor had changed. Fear had been replaced with confidence. With the support of the pregnancy center, friends and extended family members, this young lady chose life. She's now walking through a pregnancy with assurance that we will be by her side throughout the entire pregnancy and into her motherhood journey. Not just about convincing someone who's in a tough situation not to do something bad, but walking alongside them and supporting them in their continual struggle. As you can see from this testimony, she believed that she only had, she felt pressured and believed that she only had one choice. A lot of times pro-choice really just means pro-abortion. And it wasn't to keep the child, that choice was not to keep the child that was already living in her womb. Fear met with loving support and hope turned to courage. And she truly was given the choice, not only to abort, but also to the option of keeping her child and to save a life. But what happens here is not only that the life of the child is saved, but the life of the mother as well. My wife, you know, Huria and I, we discuss these issues all the time. And we've thought about maybe having some kind of gathering to discuss them in our community. We've often spoken to one another about the idea of save two lives, the child and the mother. But she was speaking with someone from a pregnancy center who added their goal was to save three. Mother, father, and child. Bring the father into the picture as well. I promise I'm almost done. I'm never done, really. The conclusion of the homily is just your intermission until the next time. In a recent pro-life statement made by our Orthodox bishops in the United States, they concluded with many following many important points following. They said, The same Lord who became incarnate of the Virgin Mary on the Feast of the Annunciation loves every human being He creates. From the moment of their conception, He loves their mothers. He loves their mothers along with the fathers who suffer and sacrifice for their children. The church and indeed all of humanity has a duty to care for and support these children and their mothers. No less equally, the Lord also loves the mothers who, victims of deceitful pressures from this world, make the tragic choice to have their children killed. For these mothers, the church offers forgiveness, compassion, and healing through repentance and reconciliation both to God and to their lost children. The Lord loves those fathers and other men who falling, failing in their duty to provide and protect instead of pressure and even force their mothers to have their children killed. The Lord loves those physicians and other practitioners who themselves, victims of deceit, have allowed themselves to become instruments of evil in the murder of innocent children. And finally, let us all implore the same Lord who desires that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 
that his all-encompassing love and mercy will enfold all who are affected by the tragedy of abortion and bring healing to our land. That's the end of the statement from the bishops. So, beloved in Christ, in an age when, in which we're systematically taught that self-love is the first kind of love, the best kind of love, it's important for us to bear witness to the reality of true love, the love of God. And I hope that's, that's why you're here, because you believe in God's love and that God loves you, and love of neighbor. And those neighbors who are in need of our practical acts of love are those who are among the most vulnerable, the unborn and their struggling mothers, and we would add the fathers, and we can help them by doing all we can to support, support them. You may notice, or maybe not, but you may notice that I neglected to reference any particular legislation, court case, etc., in the course of this message. And this is, again, because this issue is not of legal or political nature, but it's a human issue. And it's one that Christians have been dealing with and approaching from the beginning of our faith. So I hope, beloved in Christ, that you don't receive this as someone who's trying to upset you or scratch your back politically or anything like that. But I hope that if there is any confusion, if there is, and maybe there still will be, we'll see, about unique cases, rare and unique cases and things like that. We can talk about those things. But I hope this clears up any general confusion, if there was any. And I hope that it will inspire you to take on love as your cause. This is all about love. Everything in the church is all about love. Redemptive, healing, truthful, painful, and challenging love. And we're called, especially during this Paschal season, to be witnesses to life in Christ and to the plundering of hopelessness, this life in Christ means no longer fearing death and its claim on us and actualizing our faith by understanding that we can live in Christ on a daily basis, each and every one of us, and by affirming that life is worth living. We bear witness to this reality. There is no one, no person, in whose life God is not at work in some way. So let us strive in this beautiful imperfect and yet becoming holy community. Let us strive to be a part of his life-giving energy and healing in this world in all that we do. Glory to God for all things. Christ is risen. Indeed.